0: The governor of Illinois remembered that he was plain, very plain, and men said that he usually went about camp in a short blue coat and an old slouch hat, wearing nothing that indicated his rank, nothing indeed that even proved he was in the army. The men of his regiment spoke of him as the quiet man, and afterward they admitted that they never exactly understood him. He was not in the least impressive, but somehow he took charge subduing the disobedient without, apparently, using anything more than a hard look and a soft word. It was told that one time he personally jumped a drunken private who had overawed the guard, knocking the man down and then sitting on him while applying bonds and a gag. But this, if not exactly out of character, was at least out of the ordinary. For the most part, men seemed to obey him simply because he expected them to do so. An admiring chaplain, looking back at the end of the war, said that no stranger, seeing this man in a crowd, would ever be moved to ask who he was. There was nothing about Ulysses S. Grant that struck the eye, and this puzzled people, after it was all over, because it seemed reasonable that greatness, somewhere along the line, should look like greatness. Grant could never look like anything, and he could never make the things he did look very special and afterward men could remember nothing more than the fact that when he came around, things seemed to happen. The most they could say, usually, was that U.S. Grant had a good deal of common sense. His experience in the early summer of 1861 with the 21st Illinois Volunteer Infantry was quite typical. The 21st Illinois might have been set up on purpose to test a colonel. It had been formed as the 7th District Regiment in the spring of 1861, Made up of about 1,000 farm boys from the prosperous, strongly Republican counties in the east central part of the state, and it numbered about 600 when it mustered for three years as the 21st Infantry. Its members were vigorous, hardy boys, as a veteran remembered, unused to any kind of restraint, every man much inclined to think and act for himself. There had been a colonel, but he had not lasted. He had been literally ridiculed and badgered out of camp and of him nothing remained but a dim memory of drunken, posturing incompetence. In mid-June the lieutenant colonel was despondently noting in the regimental order book that the company commanders had entirely lost sight of the rules of discipline. The company commanders had never known anything about these rules to begin with, and so could not have lost sight of them, but fundamentally the officer was correct. Discipline did not exist. A detail of eighty men armed with clubs had been set up to patrol the fences and keep the recruits from climbing out after dark to go and see the girls, or seek some other diversion, but it was accomplishing nothing. The twenty-first, a little restive under military restraint, was flitting past these guards as if they were not there. The regiment was becoming known as Governor Yates's Hellions, and no farmer within miles of camp considered his chickens safe. The lieutenant colonel. Conscientious John W. S. Alexander was doing his best. As a man, his best was good. He would die a little more than two years later under the Confederate guns at Chickamauga, a place that no man in Illinois had so much as heard of in this early summer of 1861. On June 16th, which was the same day Grant wandered in on the regimental adjutant and remarked that he guessed he'd take command, Alexander issued a regimental order demanding stricter discipline. Following it with other orders, setting up a very tight routine, the men were to be turned out each morning at five o'clock, and at seven thirty, breakfast and ordinary camp chores having been disposed of, the day's work would begin with three and one half unbroken hours of drill by squad, by company, and by battalion. At two thirty in the afternoon, the same would begin all over again, two hours of company drill and an hour of battalion drill, with regimental dress parade scheduled for five thirty. Retreat at sundown and tattoo sounded at 9 p.m. All of this made a fairly full day for these farm boys who were so unused to restraint. Furthermore, it seems to have occurred to no one, except to the privates themselves, possibly, that it gets very warm on the Illinois prairie at midday in summer, and that five or six hours of pack drill on the infield of a state fairgrounds may be a little more than any human being can take.